Welcome back to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. Episode 33 welcomes writer and podcaster Ben DeLong. He is the author of There's a God in My Closet, Encountering the Love Who Embraces Our Skeletons, and he's also the host of the God in My Closet podcast. Today's conversation focuses on the premise behind Ben's book, which is that God loves us and all of our skeletons, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. Our discussion begins by unfolding Ben's previous porn addiction. He bravely confronts his addictions by entering into a shame-free space, surrounded and embraced by a loving God of grace. From facing the depressed elephants in the room, to walking on eggshells, and greeting the truth of our redeemable quality, Ben shares his story of understanding the self by greeting the inner child and learning how to heal his wounds, knowing he was never forsaken or abandoned. I really liked this book. Brad Jerzak wrote the foreword to Ben DeLong's book, There's a God in My Closet. And for people who are starting to tear away from the illusions that you've been covering yourself with, I recommend diving into There's a God in My Closet. If you're entering into a phase of rejecting some of the negative evangelicalism and fundamentalist ideals, There's a God in My Closet is the book for you. I think especially for men, especially for men who have had to overcome addictions and desires that were just really hard to wrestle with and really hard to handle without some kind of a support system. And Ben kind of discusses why it is important that we have kind of safe support systems that we can be vulnerable and that we can that we can pull our skeletons out of the closet with. We also have a little bit of a political discussion. We talk about the importance of presence and awareness. And Ben shares a few practices that have helped him learn how to eat from the tree of life and why eating from the tree of knowledge between good and evil isn't as nutritious as we think. For more about Ben and to connect with him, you can find him on Facebook or you can visit his website at www.bedelong.com. You can also get There's a God in My Closet at Amazon or wherever books are sold. Listeners, I ask that you please compassionately consider the perspective of Ben DeLong. interactions in your own exchanges there's a lot of scapegoating yeah I mean it it seems pretty ubiquitous ubiquitous actually um you know I mean it's as something as mundane as you know something happened on traffic and it's the other driver's fault or whatever and you know like it's always somebody else's fault um you know as as high up as just politics I mean, mm-hmm. that's just, it seems like that's mostly what politics are. And, and yeah, I know when you have discussions with people about politics, it's, it's, um, so often it's not, well, this is why my 
side is good. It's well, your side did this. So that's why you guys are bad. And yeah. 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 So how are you with politics? Do you like to engage in political conversations or do you try and avoid that? Um, I, I do like it. Um, but it's, it's hard to find. I, I like talking about them with somebody who, um, doesn't get heated about it, but it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to find that person. <laughs> um, and I'm also, um, there's, there's a lot of in political discussions, like looking down on people because they don't know what you know, yeah, or they haven't read what you read. And, and especially today when, you know, you have the internet and there's so much information, I was like, well, of course I'm not going to know everything. So just if I'm, if I misinform, then just inform me. Don't make fun of me, you know? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I feel the same way. Um, I used to really like being political. It was my thing. I was introduced yeah. to it, ironically, through a very Christian company that I worked for. Yeah. And it was unexpected. I applied for a steel, it's for a steel company. And I went to work there and they were, they did Bible studies every Wednesday, like mm. the whole group. And I was like, uh, what, what is what religion and work? <laughs> and I didn't like it. And I was super liberal when I went to work for them, but they were so political. They yeah. knew everything that they was on Fox news the night before. And I was so intrigued, but I'm always the contrarian. And so I got the general consensus. They were all Republican. I didn't know shit about politics at the time. I really (laughs) didn't. I thought politics was stupid, but then I started paying attention. And so, Ann Coulter became like one of my idols at the time. And this was what, 2006, 2005, 2006. Mm -hmm. And I got, I got, I just, I don't know. It, it was like, they, they Christianized it for me. So Mm -hmm. And then they brought, and then I got into Christianity, but my husband had a lot of influence with that too, ironically, during around the same time. But Mm. I grew to love it, but that was alien to my family. And so I had this love affair of politics and I'd get together for holiday get togethers and everyone's like, shut up, you're so political, you're so boring, why are you like this? And so I had to learn to be careful who I could have those conversations with until Facebook. And then Facebook Mm. exploded and was like, look at all these people. And then we screw it up so badly though. We have such opportunity to really learn from each other and grow from that. But we, uh, it's like the gaslight effect. You're going to tell me something contrary and oppositional to me. And I'm going to dig my heels in to prove to you that my side is right because we're so prideful about what we believe. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, so it's, it's hard to kind of hold that tension of, wanting to inform other people and help them see what you see because you know we all see things i see it better than you do let me help you out right yeah and then when we try and do that we all have that same mentality so we're always fighting against each other so yeah yeah that's just the way it is though right yeah yeah it's definitely hard i mean i've i'm definitely guilty of you know getting caught up and you know, instead of what am I going to learn here being like, how can I prove I'm right right now? <laughs> exactly. I know. I do the same thing too. You know, I, I got into a Facebook argument today with someone I've actually had on the show before. And I keep telling myself like, Danielle, why are you doing this? Just stay out of it. Just because I know what his position is and it's yeah. opposite mine. 
Yeah. But I know there's so much about him that I love and appreciate and agree with. So it's hard for me to say that I agree with him and I respect him. But at the same time, I'm like, his views are wrong. Yeah. But I don't yeah. like to tell people they're wrong either. So I'm like, hold on. And so I have to keep pulling back from that too. just this whole being so careful because it's so, it, it seems like our relationships are so fragile that yeah. instantly they just crack as soon as one person says the wrong thing. And because we don't want to apologize and yeah. take accountability for what we've done, we'll let it go. We'll let that connection die because of our pride. Yeah. Um, so I have to tell you, I really, really enjoyed your book. I mm, love the title. There's a God in my closet. I had, I didn't even have a preconceived idea of what the book could be about. My friend, Nora Speakman, I think you spoke with her. She's like, just mm -hmm. read the book. It's a good book. And, um, forward by Brad Jerzak. And I know Brad Jerzak's work. That's kind of him and, and Zond mm -hmm. and Greg Boyd were kind of the three really first impactful people that made me start kind of breaking down some ideas. Yeah. Um, and so the only expectation I had is that you might've been in a similar theological mindset as Jurisac, which yeah. I appreciate. So there's a God in my closet encountering the love who embraces our skeletons and you start right off the back. You're just life sucks guys. Here it is. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if you can just kind of take me back to what set off this, this conviction for you to write this book. What, what was it about kind of letting these skeletons out of the closet that, that compelled you to share your beautiful story so well-deserved of, of being heard with other people? What was that pivotal point for you? Um, well, I mean, there, there's kind of, couple layers there um Ooh, I like layers <laughs> um first of all it was just you know me becoming aware of like my inner pitfalls and um and that came through um struggles with struggles with our marriage that came through an addition to pornography and um and just realizing that I didn't know what to do with my life I didn't know how to you know, be happy or joyful or at peace or, or any of that stuff. And, and so that was part of that journey was just me opening up to stuff for myself. But then it, it went deeper later when I started meeting with my spiritual director, because he really emphasized, you have to sit with the stuff within you that you're uncomfortable with. You know, when we started meeting, he said, you know, God, God wants to, God wants you to look at your sin. And my framework from my heritage, my, you know, church heritage and stuff. The, what I heard from that was God wants to rub your face in your sin because that, because mm. that's how I had seen God for so long. And so the next time I saw him, you know, I'm just like, nah, God doesn't want me to look at my sin. <laughs> I just, uh, I, cause I, I had had my shit rubbed in my face for so long. Like I was just kind of done with it. And he's like, I, I told him, I don't think God wants to throw my sin in my face. And and he was like, well, no, he doesn't. That implies condemnation. But he does want to sit with you in it. And when I, when I started being honest about what was going on inside of me and sitting with that stuff, stuff that terrified me. I mean, like I was scared to death of what I would find. But what ended up happening is I, you know, I sit with that 
with God. You know, sometimes that looked like praying the Jesus prayer. Sometimes that looked like just meditating on that stuff, but finding all the lies that I was believing about myself. And it just, you know, Jesus ended up being better than I ever imagined because he, he saved me from myself and from all, all the ways that I was sabotaging and hurting myself. Mm-hmm. So you said you had an addiction with porn. Mm-hmm. And so the first question that comes to my mind when I hear this, and there have been, you know, this isn't uncommon. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. But I have to ask, how easy is it to just come out and say that openly, that vulnerability, that you had this porn addiction? Because I've heard other people, like I know Greg Boyd has publicly talked about his previous porn addiction too. And yeah. you know, I can't help, what kind of wrestling is that for you just in that instant of being public about it? And yeah. what kind of, you must have had such a transformation that, you were so comfortable being that naked and revealed with people. Yeah. But was it a struggle at first? I mean, was it hard? How did your, how did your wife handle it? And, and did, she, did she encourage you? She supported you through this to be public about it? Was any of that difficult at all? For, as far as me sharing about it, yeah, it was really, really hard. I mean, I, I remember because um, I, I uh, I'm an ordained minister and I had to go through this process of being interviewed different kinds of ways for that. And, and my wife was part of those interviews too. And and this was after, after I had the struggle with porn and I mean, you know, it's men always kind of struggle with that stuff, but, but I, you know, I wasn't actively doing that anymore. And, and her and I had worked through that. But um, I remember the interviewer was about to come into the room and I told her, I, I said, I would really appreciate it if we didn't mention the, the pornography. And it was just like, you know, we've dealt with it and I don't want anybody else to know about it. And that, that was probably back in like 2014. Mm. So that, that kind of shows you like how far God's taken me in that because mm. yeah, it was very much like, I'm not going to tell anyone cause I can't stand to think of, you know, how they'll think of me or how mm-hmm. they'll view me or whatever. And, but then when you start, you know, with my, especially with my spiritual director, um, and, and my wife as well, when, when you start being open with people and, and seeing that um, you don't die, <laughs> as a, a friend of mine puts it, he says, you know, shame tells us that the lie of shame is that if people really know me, then I'm going to die. Yeah. It's, um, and so when I started opening up to my spiritual director and my wife and, and to God and to myself, and then it it just kind of, I was able to see, oh, wow, this doesn't have the power over me that I thought it did. And so now, you know, it's like, who cares what people think about me? Like, I, Amen. You, know, you know, I know, I know where I stand with the people that are important to me and I know where I, where I stand with Christ and that's all that matters. So that's beautiful. And that's great. That's, I love that. Yeah. I love that you show that obvious progression and you can stand here now. And I really appreciate that you're you're willing to just be like okay here's the really shameful stuff i'm just gonna put it out there you know and i'm like that too in real life you know when we start especially my husband and i when we start making friends with other couples we are so sometimes so transparent sometimes but you know i put it out there and 
even if just the topic comes across, you hear about the gossip in town. Oh, I heard so-and-so cheated on da-da-da-da-da. And I'll say, I cheated on my husband while he was deployed in Iraq with someone who was in the same unit as him. And the result of that was I got pregnant and we have a child together now. You know, and people are like, that was a whole lot that you just dumped down. And I'm like, and that's the worst thing you, that is in, in, by measure of what people would, would, would decide to give me a shame level. That would Mm -hmm. be it. And so it's like, I get that out there. (laughs) I know it's a lot for people, (laughs) but I get that out there because I just want people to know if you know the dirtiest shit about me, you know how real I will be with you. Like, And I think that's what's most important. We walk around so scared to let people know what's in our closet. And we have all these other people like you. And I know so many other who are like, do you guys want to come and see my closet? You know, And like, here's (laughs) all the skeletons I got. When we can be real like that with people, it can help us connect so much quickly. And after that, I think you've established such a a vulnerable uh, communion with someone that you let all that superficial stuff just kind of roll away in the wind. It just doesn't yeah. matter then. And so your relationships are strengthened because you see each other like mutually, like there you are. And, and okay, if you have that view of we're all sinners and we're all sinners, I see you. And, and, and what is it? No sin is greater than the other. I mean, we're not sitting here measuring sins. Yeah. So yeah, I really appreciated that about your story is that you put that out there and I think what it, and you, or you speak to this is there was a lacking of intimacy mm-hmm. and you wrote about this and I just wanted to kind of pull a little bit out of that and ask, do you think in church circles, in Christian circles, do you think we're teaching intimacy the right way? And could the way that we are teaching intimacy maybe be a contributing factor to why so many men? And I think Pornhub did a recent survey or announcement that showed that most of their users are from the Bible Belt. And Mm, I thought, could that have a lot to do with the way we handle intimacy, the way we confront it, and the way we talk about it between both men and women and men and men and women and women and, and men and women who aren't married, but being able to even have intimate relationships that we are not assuming lead to sex. So yeah. I'm wondering if that's been your experience. You just saw that intimacy was dealt with wrong and, and how can we correct that? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, there, there's a lot, there are a lot of factors to that lack of intimacy that were specific to my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there, I think there are a lot of um, tendencies and practices. Um, I'll just say the evangelical church, cause that's, you know, what I'm used to that, that do um, prevent that kind of intimacy because they don't, I, I know for me and from what I see, there's not, there's not really a lot of intimacy with God. Mm. Um, and if, if that's not there, like if, if I'm not sure that God loves the dirty parts of me, then how am I going to share that with another person? Mm-hmm. You know, but I, and, and, and that also goes, that also goes back and forth because I, I think, it's also hard to get to that point with God until we experience that with a flesh and blood person. Mm, um, yeah. But there's I'm trying to think what's the best way to say this. There's just, um, there's not a lot of understanding in the evangelical church that 
that it's all about identity. And so we, we end up putting so much weight on, you know, what are the good things that we've done and what are the bad things that we've done? Because we, we think those so deeply impact, you know, how God looks at us or, or whatever, instead of saying like, actually I'm good. I messed up in some places because have scars from when I was a kid or because I, because I truly didn't know who I was. Um, I mean, I, I, I just don't think there's a lot of people that are going around making really crappy and hurtful decisions that are fully aware that they're making those hurtful, crappy decisions. Yeah. I think they're, they're acting out of their own hurt. They're acting out of their dysfunctions. It, it's hard to get to that intimate place of knowing that I'm unconditionally loved by God without knowing like, you know, the story begins with God creating me in his image and I am good. You know, the stuff along the way, you know, he'll work with me on that, but that hasn't changed who I really am. Yeah. I like that. I like your comparison that it's, it's not so much about our behavior. It's about our identity. And you said yeah. something that, uh, Harmarsha, did I say that right? Harmarsha? It, the, the term for sin is more about oh. identity rather than behavior. And so we're rather missing the mark here altogether on even identifying mm -hmm. what sin is and thinking that it's about our practices or it's about our actions. And more so, it, it's about knowing who we are, knowing mm -hmm. that we are loved, knowing that we are saved, and yeah. knowing that God is just rooting for us, yeah. for us to make the right decisions. And so... You, you basically say that, it, that um, to live in that lie of sin is kind of like the true meaning of sin. But yeah. what you also say that I really appreciated today, and it, um, I, I think I used it today in like a response to somebody, it's kind of like a jab. <laughs> you said that the original sin is that we seek the knowledge of good and evil. And so we seek ways to position ourselves as like principled for knowing the difference between right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And that this form of seeking was what was forbidden in the garden. And what that brought up for me was, well, what does that say about apologetics and theology and yeah. the theologians and what they do? What does that say about that? And so I'm just wondering if you could kind of draw us towards what brought you to that understanding that that's the seeking of the knowledge is the sin that we're missing. And we're over here like, I have the right answers and you have the wrong mm -hmm. answers. So I'm wondering if you could just take us back to that mindset. One person that, that started me on that kind of viewpoint, um, I believe his name is Don Keithley. He's a pastor of Grace Point Church. I think it's somewhere in Texas. I, I know about it because he, he posts videos and he's had like Brad Jerzak and Paul Young at his church, but he talked about like living by the tree of life or living by the tree of knowledge and, of good and evil. And the, the tree of life represented like sharing and participating in the life of God. If you do that, then all the stuff that you need to know, like takes care of itself. There's, there's this line that Richard Rohr has that it floored me when I read it. And I still think about it often. He said, when you, when you know how to be present, you will know what you need to know. And um, I think that's part of the. I mean, there's so many different elements to the creation story, but I think part of it is that if you are, you know, set in your communion with God, that, all that other stuff will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. um, and so we don't, you know, you mentioned like theology and apologetics. Like I, I think those are definitely useful, but they, mm -hmm. um, they, they need to serve a purpose. Yes. And, and, and we need to have 
the healthy perspective of where it falls. You, you know, does it, if it helps you have a healthy relationship with God, then, you know, go for it. Um, but if it's, if it's drawing you away from God or, or making you think that you have to have your stuff right in order to be accepted by God, then that's where it gets pretty unhealthy. Yeah, we get, and I've, I've gotten caught up in it. I mean, I was at one point where I, for whatever weird reason I decided upon, I was like, people that aren't willing to go and educate themselves the way that I am are really (laughs) doing a disservice to themselves and don't deserve having, you know, I had that mentality where I was like, why are people wasting their minds? We're called to love the Lord with our mind. What are we doing here? But at the same time, yeah, I, I can get a little bit radical and obsessive with what I'm researching and what I'm investigating. And, and I can think that, you know, I can look down upon people for not knowing what I know, but when we get so caught up in what we do know, we miss so much of what we don't know. Yeah. And I yeah. love that you use the tree of life versus the tree of knowledge is that kind of that image and what that created for me was we are supposed to look over here at all the beauty and we're mm-hmm. over here concerned about our brains instead. And yeah. we miss it. We definitely need to go back to sharing in the tree of life and, and, and really thinking about what that means for each of us individually. Mm-hmm. And so what does that look like for you? Like today, how did you share in the tree of life? Well, uh, I'll say that this week has been full of a lot of triggers for me. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's made it a, a long week of um, like stumbling back into a lot of the lies that I believe about myself. One of the things that's really helped me work through that. I mean, part of it is just that, that whole concept of sitting with your crap that you can't fight it off. You can't push it back. I mean, it's only going to control you more if you do that. You, you have to, to sit with it in compassion and love, but then also just remembering that, you know, who I am and that like it, it starts with that. And I, I had this, this experience a couple of years ago where I was listening to this panel of Enneagram fours, um, which is my numbers. So I, was, I was trying to learn more about it. And I'm a five. A five. Okay. I'm yep. A five. So, yep. Yep. So I'm sure we cross paths, paths a lot with our, yeah. our, uh, I lost the, the word. Is it I our forget. wings? Yep. The yep. wings. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were talking about how, um, fours have this innate sense of knowing that they come from something deeper. Mm. And then somewhere along the line, there is some hurt or, a sense of abandonment or something like that, that takes that away. And, you know, their journey is, is trying to recover that in a healthy way. I I started to remember like how, how I was when I was a kid, like, like before all the crap happened and all of a sudden the only way I I can think to explain it, because there's, there's not really a good way, but the best way is it was like I was standing on this cliff and the ground beneath me was, what I was trying to use to keep myself firm. And then all of a sudden that ground like crumbled beneath me and I started falling into this abyss, but the entire abyss was the grace of God. And so it was like, there's, there's nowhere, there's absolutely nowhere around me or within me that is separated from the divine being. That is a very powerful image. 
And that, that's something I have to, I have to come and I had to come back to it this week of, you know, you're believing these lies again, but remember what God has showed you who you are. Can you share any of these lies that you were hearing? One of them that just came from interactions that I had with my dad, my, my dad, he didn't come from a great, I mean, he, he had loving parents, but they were pretty dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't know how to handle a lot of his stress. And so, you know, sometimes he would get overly angry at things that weren't really as bad as he thought. And then when you're kids, you know, we all interpret that different when we're kids. One way that it was explained to me is that when kids are young, they, they have to have this idealized image of their parents to survive. Um, because it's like their parents are kind of like God in their life. And, and so when parents mess up, kids, to keep that image, they think, well, it must have been my fault. And so one of those lies that I've had is that just everything is my fault. Mm. Um, and when stuff is going on around me that is bad for, you know, if somebody that I care about is hurting, like I instinctively, instinctively punish myself emotionally. Mm. Another is just that that I'm completely alone. Mm. Um, and you know, that, that manifested in a lot of ways, especially in our marriage of just, um, you know, not being able to open up to my wife cause mm. yeah. just felt like I was all alone. And, mm. um, and that shame of, you know, what'll happen if she actually knows me. Oh yeah. That's beautiful. And I feel the exact same way. I mean, and isn't that, I think that's what helps pull me out of the lies that I sink into too with self-doubt and everything is I have to remember that what I'm feeling, I'm not the only one feeling it. And if no one else, I know God's feeling it because I, Mm -hmm. how can God not feel what I'm feeling? But I love, and it's really tragic as it sounds. I love knowing that when I feel that empty in the shell, I'm not Mm -hmm. the only one that feels that way. And we get that way in our marriages where we think, I don't know, some of these thoughts that I have might be too much for my partner to hold like my partner could and my husband has held a lot with us (laughs) and I sometimes and they might be even very small minute things by comparison to some of the stuff we've gone through but I always think just one more thing just might break the straw it might be too much and Mm. we do worry about that but then I have to constantly remind myself I don't know if this is true for you but for me my husband always shows me this image of this is what Jesus looks like, you know, mm. on unending grace and all of this acceptance, you know, and, and I think that, I, I think that's why we, we partner up. I think we need another person that we can fall into yeah. and, and just completely surrender and be completely naked with the weight of our junk. Mm. Um, and that's not a bash on people who choose to be single or celibate, but I think it makes it easier. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, being married is like so freaking hard. And I <laughs> often, while I'm writing this book for married people or monogamous relationships, I think I wouldn't recommend people get married until they've got their own crap figured out. Like, yeah, do not try and deconstruct with somebody else. Do it yourself first for the love of God save each other from that. But I don't think I'd be where I am right now without my, my partner. They stabilize us. Right. Yeah. You know, my, 
my wife has at times has been softer than I'm capable of being. And other times she's been much harder than I'm capable of being. And she shows me that grace. And then there's times where I really need a hard ass and she, Mm. and she's that hard ass for me of, you know, like just like putting it straight. Like you, you got to stop doing this to yourself. Yeah. And we need that. We need, we need each other to be both the sweet and the sour for us so that because sometimes we're in the same in the same positions where we know that uh, this is the part where I need to ease into this conversation. And this is the part where I got to put my foot down and be like, this is nonsense. Let's stop. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I hear you on that. Um, I was just going to add that, um, you know, just with feeling like you're alone when you're, when you're feeling those things, I, that's a big part of why, you know, I want to share that stuff because I remember when I was struggling with pornography, I just, I have this one really strong memory of just sitting in this church service and having a visiting pastor talk about how dangerous pornography was and just feeling like an absolute phony, but also not feeling like I was ever capable of telling this to anybody. Mm. And that that's a really terrible place to be. And, you know, if, you know, I, I had a seminary professor that he, he was one of the people that helped uh, my wife and I, when our marriage was really struggling. Mm-hmm. Because in class, you know, he, he shared about his time where him and his wife almost got divorced. And, and he said, um, you know, the most important thing for me is that if you ever get to a place where you feel like, you know, you feel like a failure, you feel like people are going to look down on you because you're the pastor and you have to have things all together. He's like, just know that I'm one person that you can call because I've had those moments too. Yeah. And so when our marriage was really struggling, he was one of the ones I reached out to and said, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm taking you up on your offer. What do I need to do? And you had that space to be vulnerable in, in such an intimate space with another Mm -hmm. man, with another man. Mm -hmm. And that is, I think such a necessary attribute that you don't see enough of in churches mm-hmm. or in in any kind of community settings. We don't, you have some weird kinds of groups that are male oriented that try and build men up like convention 21 and 22, but then those are really the wrong types. Mm-hmm. I, do you know what I'm talking about? This is I'm, a group of I'm not, people. I'm not familiar with them. They want to make women great again. So a bunch of men are going to come and speak to a bunch of women for $2,000 a ticket and mm. teach them how to be godly women, how okay. to get pregnant, how to be a good housewife. Oh, so, I mean, okay. there's those kinds, but there aren't a lot. And I, when I say that, I, I know there are people who will be like, but I have one. There are some in, in similar situations like you have where you can make a connection. But I think that's something that's really lacking in communities and might be contributing to this whole, I think what you call walking on eggshells Mm -hmm. uh, mentality is that we don't have spaces for people to be that intimate and vulnerable with one another where they can, where they can pull their skeletons out of the closet and Mm -hmm. talk about these things without shame, without fear, with support, with understanding, with people again, mutually recognizing you're another person you make choices that maybe don't benefit you that don't produce fruit. We're here for you. We do the same thing. And I feel like we don't encourage that. I feel like we push ourselves more towards this kind of individualistic society in which we're like, 
you figure out your own problems. And that whole getting your house in order, I'm down with, but I don't think that's an individual thing. I think we need community. Yeah. Well, and you have to ask the right questions too. Mm. Um, there's, I know in my experience, a lot of times men would get together for what they call accountability groups. But a lot of times what that ended up being was we, we want to keep you doing the right behavior instead of like asking the right questions. And it's like the problem wasn't really that I was looking at pornography. The problem was that I felt like shit about myself, yes. <laughs> you know, and like, let's ask the right questions of what, you know, it's like on, on Goodwill Hunting when Sean tells Will, like, it's not your fault. Yeah, you have some destructive behaviors in your life, but it's not your fault. You were treated like crap. Like, yeah. this is this is how people respond when they're treated like crap. And and just like, just getting under that that layer of why are you acting this way? Because you're, it's highly unlikely that you're doing it just because, you know, for no reason. There's a reason behind it. Yeah. And, but we lack intimacy with ourselves. We're not even willing right. to, I feel like we're not willing to love ourselves and yeah. go, it's okay. You know, for Ben to say to himself, Ben, it's fine. Don't, don't worry about it. We're not taught to do that. We're not encouraged yeah. to do that. Or when we have been, it's been so much later. We're like, okay, but I have like two tons of baggage back here. We still got to go through. So <laughs> yeah. give me some time here. I've, I've just been noticing that a lot lately. It just seems like we're in such uh, an era of disconnect when we have the potential for so much connectivity mm. and where we can create spaces for people that live in other countries that live across the ocean where we can collapse with each other, yeah. you know, and in, in conversation at the very least and connect with someone to say, look, dude, you're not alone, yeah. you know, and Hey girl, I'm here for you. You're not alone. We don't have that. And yeah. a lot of that is because we are stuck on these, I don't know what walls and borders that we like to put up around, around our identities and around our behaviors. And we walk yeah. on eggshells. So what does it mean to walk on eggshells, Ben? Just this, this fear that the next wrong thing I do could be it. You know, the next screw up that I have could be when God calls it quits on me. Cause I just, um, you know, the way I view God for so long, he was such a volatile personality. I know for a lot of us, we're taught, well, you know, the Bible, all the passages are equally relevant. And it's like, well, then he's got some kind of personality disorder then because he's, you know, he's really loving and compassionate in some moments. And then he's, you know, just the scariest thing you've ever thought of in other moments. Yeah, totally bipolar. <laughs> and so do you think, do you think society walks on eggshells? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we must. I mean, there's so much anxiety is such like a huge thing right now. Yeah. I, I know as I become a little bit more self-aware of my defense mechanisms and other people's defense mechanisms, the more clear it is that most people are living that way. <laughs> yes. And it's, and it's really, it's really sad to see, you know, that this, most people don't know how to live out of their genuine selves. I agree with that totally. Yeah, it, that's very. It's hard to get people to reveal their their true selves too. Mm, like mm -hmm. you're like, no, come on, really. I just shared all my junk with you. Go ahead, just. And they're like, I don't know you. I yeah. just showed you like all of it. And what? <laughs> okay, fine. You know, I look at our society and I I think about this cancel culture we have, and I think about PC culture. And I know PC culture mm. was more of like the '90s thing too, but. And then the boycott this and boycott that. 
And I can't help but wonder if it affects the ways in which we believe in God. Mm. Because we view that God has this kind of standard with us too. Like God's going to cancel you now. Like, oh no, adultery, you're done. God canceled you. Boycott Danielle, you're done. But Mm. it, I think it, what it happens is it like, it pervades everything. And so we're just imitating the expectation of the punishment. Mm, Does that make sense? Like we know how people are going to judge other people. And so we kind of live that out and like lay that out there. And so we're judgmental and you talk a lot about judging others. And so but I, I noticed that that's what, that's what came to mind when I was reading this chapter, the walking on eggshells is it really made me think like maybe the reason our society is like that is because as much as we've tried to separate church and state, mm-hmm. those influences pervade everything in such a way that all of our, uh, the ways in which we relate to people and even our experiences have to come with judgment. Mm-hmm. Like we can't just live into this moment we have yeah. to turn it around and judge it and label it and categorize it and use it against people. Mm-hmm. And we condemn people. And I just wanted to read uh, something from that chapter that I just really just spoke to me as a reminder to keep myself in check. You're talking about um, the image of God as violent and retributive and what kind of what we do to cover the shadow and project our own anger. So you go on to say this condemnation is not the power or force that transforms our lives, though we continue to think it is. Do not judge continues to be an immensely challenging command. We claim not to want to be judged ourselves, but we instinctively rake others over the coals for the most minor offenses. Road rage is exceedingly common, even as it is obviously and utterly of a ridiculous concept. Becoming enraged at such trivial things should have ended ended after childhood. Instead, our elementary behaviors carry over. So the reason we can't stop judging and condemning others is that we do the same to ourselves. We don't want to deal with the weaknesses and fears inside us, but we do know they exist. We don't want to understand why we get so angry or are so prone to manipulate others, but it's clear that we do. We think it would be easier if it all just went away, so we cast it out. If anyone irritates us or brings out the dirt swept underneath our rugs, we'll cast them out too. We can't let them mess up our system. So we judge ourselves. Do you think that, and do you see that after writing this book, you still judge yourself the same or are you, and I'm not saying we ever, we probably never get over judging ourselves. That's probably, that's, I think that's the like one thing we'll probably never be able to do, but <laughs> How are you with judging yourself and judging others now? And what kind of practices do you use to not judge others? Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd say those instinct reactions are still there to, to beat myself up, but I'm becoming more aware of them. And um, just to be able to, you know, like you said, just to say, like, it's okay. Like, everybody does this, and, and we can let it go. Richard Rohr talks a lot about how, you know, we're just, we're not, we're not our thoughts, we're not our emotions. And sometimes they cue us into what's going on, but a lot of times they're just, just a bunch of chaos going around in our head. And, mm. and we just need to let it go, because that's not who we are. And, and I think a big part of it, too, is 
I remember when I first started meeting with my spiritual director, he just, um, he talked a lot about repentance and, and just like coming back to who you are and, and letting go of those things. And he, he's like, you know, I probably repent a thousand times a day. <laughs> and, and to, to be able to just say like, okay, I just beat myself up. That's okay. It happens. Let it go. You know, I just, you know, I just assumed the worst of this other person. It's okay. It happens. I see it and I let it go. I think so much about it is just awareness and, and how we respond to it. Cause it, that stuff never really goes away. Mm-hmm. It's, it's how, how do you deal with it? You know, because the, the cycle that I used to have was I beat myself up and then, you know, I feel bad about that. And so I beat myself up for beating myself up. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it just keeps going instead of just saying, okay, that that's okay. I beat myself up. I mean, it's understandable from the experiences that I've had and the things that I've been taught is understandable, but we can let it go. Yes. And it, it's funny because I was talking to my wife the other day about, um, you know, it, it, it is silly how, how we respond when we're driving. And I, I told her that pretty much without fail, if I get mad at another driver for doing something stupid, I end up doing the same thing like a minute later. Yeah. <laughs> Almost without fail. <laughs> I used to, oh man, I used to have to drive on, I live in rural America, in rural Minnesota now, but I used to have to drive on the freeway every day in the Twin Cities. And that I know kind of traffic is nothing in comparison to a lot of bigger cities, but mm-hmm. I used to be, oh man, I was so angry all the time. I was laughing when I just read that particular part of your book because I'm like, I used to be like that. And I don't know what it was, but maybe it was my mom. She was like, you know, whenever I see people cut me off or trying to pass me, I just think to myself, I hope they're not in a hurry for an emergency because something bad happened. And after she said that, I thought, man, I feel really dumb for getting mad at all these people who could be in a hurry because something bad happened. And just that, that little tinge on a perspective can really change everything about your scope. Yeah. And I really see that that's what kind of happened with you and in your book is that you, you just, you got a whole new lens Mm -hmm. and you are seeing it through your own identity as loved by God. And, um, I just, I just, I, okay. So one question you said, I think I, we had an interaction on Facebook or something. You said you'd like to spend time in the closet or in the dark. Cause I said, Mm -hmm. what's wrong with the dark? So, Mm -hmm. Before we go, I'm wondering if you could just unpack that for me. Part of me understands even that commentary because I'm super introverted and I'm also really mental. Like I love being in my head. So I'm wondering if that's what it is for you. And if you spend too much time there, is that when the lies creep back? Mm. Yeah, I I think, um, you know, my, my, um, instinct to sit in the closet, I I think is this is one of the things I talk about with the Enneagram is that your your greatest gift is also your biggest downfall. Yeah, and so I, I think that's one of my gifts is that I I'm not afraid to sit there, and it helps me to to come to a lot of insights that maybe other people have a hard time getting to because they're not comfortable sitting there. But I can definitely, you know, there's this longing of like, well something happened 
and my past that made me hurt. Well, a lot of things did. And there's, there's almost this idea that if I sit and ruminate on that long enough, I'll come to like this magical answer that'll make it all okay. And that really doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, other than engaging with life now and, and just coming to acceptance. And I think when, when I do that enough, I'm, I'm able to get this, this much bigger lens of what's going on like more of this like bird's eye view. You know what? One thing is, um, and I talk about in the book that I, when I was a teenager, you know, I, I focused on, well, if I can just find a girl that likes me, then that'll fix me. And that'll, that'll make me feel better and make me feel like I belong. You know, we would break up or I'd get dumped or whatever. And in that moment, it's like, it just feels so devastating that, you know, all the things I believed about have been confirmed. And, um, but then when I, you know, as I've gotten older and journeyed through that and sat with that in a healthy way, it kind of has given me this bird's eye view of, you know, that really hurt, but, but they also, they gave me hope that there was some intimate connection to mm-hmm. make me feel whole. And, you know, that intimate connection you know, we experience that with the people around us, but ultimately that's realizing that we are intimately connected to God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, those, those painful experiences, they, uh, you know, when I would try to fight for that again, it would, it would um, keep that hope alive that there's, there's something that I'm longing to connect to. And, and I, and that someday I'll get to that and to see that, you know, what those relationships hurt, but they serve this bigger purpose. And do you feel like maybe in those moments where we're experiencing that pain, when we're not being present, we might feel like God's not there with us, the absence of God, God abandoned us or whatever. And then when that, that feeling is triggered again, it's kind of triggered as a gift for us to look back on it, remember how it hurt, but maybe even just to remind ourselves, God was right there with you though. Do you see now? God was right there with you. Yeah. And and I like that you sit with things. I do too. I constantly, like I got beat up on Twitter this week by a blue checkmark verified person. And so I had a lot of attention I was not expecting. Mm. And I knew I knew I had to take accountability. Like you did that, Danielle. Like you started something you you weren't ready to handle, but I had to go and take it all as a gift. And that's something that I've been doing on, on my transformation path lately is all this crap that comes to us, it can be really heavy and it can be really defeating, but it comes to us for a reason and it's like a gift and we have to open it up yeah. and we have to figure out what's inside the gift. And in a lot of cases, I think when we're feeling that shame or we're feeling that, that moment where we're getting hot and we're feeling rejected and embarrassed and anxious it's triggering something from our past to remind us God was there then God is there now. And I really think that you bring that kind of that idea to surface through your, through your anecdotal experience of going through to be from shame to unashamed. And I love, I love that. That's kind of, that's kind of the whole message I got out of your book is to learn how to be naked and unashamed again. 
And I think I'm seeing that kind of happening with a lot of people. There's this awakening, like it's okay to be naked and unashamed. We don't need to be ashamed of our, Mm. not just our physical nakedness, but our spiritual nakedness and our Mm -hmm. mental nakedness with, with God. So I have really enjoyed this conversation. Mm. Um, Me too. I want everyone to know that Ben DeLong's book is available on Amazon. You can also go to bdelong.com. You have a podcast out. I just discovered that yesterday. I didn't know you had a mm-hmm. podcast. There's a, uh, or it's called the God in My Closet podcast, correct? Right. Yes. And so that just came out. So check mm-hmm. that out. What else is in the works for you? What are you doing right now? How can people find um, you? Um, I mean, those are the main places uh, on, on Facebook as well. Okay. Um, and I, I blog on my website. I'm working, I'm in the beginnings of working on a, another book. Oh, good. Um, that will be, it's, it will be a novel of kind of exploring um, what inner healing looks like, um, but specifically healing with our inner child. Oh, oh. Yeah, that's what I'm working on now. But yeah, uh, my book's out there, so. Yes, and the book is phenomenal. Again, there's a God in my closet. Ben, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed it.